going to be in your Bibles to 1 Kings 18, 1 through 16. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the lands to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive, and do not lose some of the animals. So they divided up the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on his way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How I have sinned that you would give, me, you would, you would give your servant in the hand of Ahab to kill me. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, He is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so, when I have come until Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, that when did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of the hosts live before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. If you haven't turned there yet, please do to the book of First Kings. And while the kids are rejoicing downstairs, you could join me in a, in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, this word that you've given us. Uh, These the stories uh, about Elijah and his confrontations and his um, adventures and or the faith that's exhibited and, and these examples that we see, Lord. But we ask that our attention would be um, as the passage wants it. Lord, focused on you, who you are, the kind of God that you are, the kind of things that you expect, the kind of things that you do. And we ask that we would leave here with a, a sense of um, how this particular passage uh, should grip us and change us, Lord. We ask that you would do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear has a way of crippling us. I have a friend whose daughter is afraid of everything. Uh, we, we, we go to the park and she's afraid of the slide. We go to, uh, to the movies and we can't pick any movie to watch, even out of Disney stuff, because if there's any kind of dark scene or scary person in there, it's, it's no go. Uh, she has a hard time walking into the house. She's afraid of dogs and uh, any, any kind of pets, any kind of animals, you know, squirrel runs by. She's skittish and she's very fearful, very timid, very afraid. And... Uh, every time we try to do a play date or something with them, we, do, we sometimes we go to Chuck E. Cheese and 
Uh, there's a playground area over here, and she's okay with that, but then we go to eat the pizza over here, and there's this stage off to the side with these big animals holding instruments, and they're, it's not the peak hour, so they're not moving, and they're just kind of like staring us down with their plastic eyes, and the weird music is playing, and they're just big furry animals, and she's fearful of, of them, and so she has a hard time going to Chuck E. Cheese. Um, Sometimes I feel bad, like kids should be out there enjoying and taking risks and jumping and running around, and, and she's afraid. And I think many of us as believers find a comfort zone. We give our lives to the Lord, and we start growing, and we start learning, but, but we find a comfort zone, and we're, we just, you know, we don't want to be asked to step outside of those comfort zones and face any kind of opposition or fear. This passage, I think, speaks directly to that plight. And chapter 18 is, was just read for us by Savannah. Elijah's fearless obedience sets the tone. Because if you remember, he was supposed he had confronted Ahab and told him it's, it's not going to rain until further notice. And then he split and he hid by a brook and hid in a widow's house in the Phoenician territory. And he's hiding while Ahab's trying to hunt him down. And then it, God tells him to go back and talk to Ahab again, verse 1, he says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So, yes, Ahab's looking for you. Yes, Ahab wants to kill you. Yes, Ahab is going into every corner with all his soldiers and doing everything in his might to find you and kill you. I want you to go out to him and tell him what I want you to tell him. And so right there, Elijah continues his M.O. of fearless obedience. And it's because Elijah gets something. Elijah gets something that Obadiah doesn't. And we'll see that as we walk through the passage. Elijah went to show himself to Ahab in verse 2. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. And Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. You, you, you're struck with the imagery of like Schindler, Schindler's List. And Obadiah is a believer and he believes in these prophets, but he serves a kingdom that is trying to wipe the prophets out and he's sort of working as a double agent to hide some of these prophets, as many as he can, in a cave, in some caves. Um, and he did that because he feared God. In verse 5, Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. Verse 6, so they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. So right now we see that Obadiah is a likable guy. He's, it's honorable what he does, but God's not done with him yet. Because in verse 7, as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Now go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. Now here's the problem. Obadiah doesn't want to do that. And he he explains why. Verse 9. He said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord is not sent to seek you. And when they would say, he's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. 
And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he can't find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. So Elijah's um, not wanting to do what, Obed, what uh, Obadiah is not wanting to do what Elijah wanted him to do because he fears death. Ahab didn't play around. Ahab walked around, and, and if there were any kind of connections with Elijah, he would, he would kill you. And if he would make you swear, you're not hiding Elijah. You swear, and, and he, I mean, he'll kill you if he whiffs that you're lying. And they say, what's going to happen is, you know, Elijah, you're impossible to find. The Spirit of God takes you over here, and the Spirit of God takes you over there. And I'm going to go over here and tell him I found you. We're going to come back, and you're not going to be here to back me up. You know, because he's not, he's not being asked to go tell Ahab, hey, I found him, let's go trap him. Hey, I got him. I tortured him. He's, he's still an inch of life, so you can finish him off. You get the honors of finishing him off. Hey, he's hiding over here. Let's jump him. Let's corner him. Well, he's being asked to represent Elijah when he goes and talks to Ahab. And so he's being asked to take sides with Elijah to publicly take sides and he doesn't want to do it and he starts pointing to past victories he says isn't it enough that i feared the lord since my youth isn't it enough that i hid the prophets Obadiah did great things but he played it safe he still stayed within a comfort zone he, he was still undercover he was a secret agent follower of god his faith in the god of israel wasn't exposed he hadn't laid it out on the line yet and you and i Fear will prompt us to draw lines around what God asks us to do. We'll do things as long as it's safe. We'll do things as long as it doesn't ask that we confront our fears. We'll do things as long as it doesn't require that our faith meets real life and the rubber hits the road. We just want to play it safe. I remember when I was, I shared this story before. When I was doing masonry construction, a co-worker of mine dropped a piece of brick and it fell down on a car and dented the top of the car and the brick was all over the, the hood. And his response was to tell me to go down there and sweep it off and don't tell the boss. I said, I can't do that. can't do it. And he said, why? You have to do it. You know why I said we have to do it? Because when the boss finds out, we can get fired. When the boss finds out, we could get our pay docked. And some of you go, I know that story, Lucas. Your boss was your father-in-law. That's why you weren't scared. No, that's why I was scared. <laughs> I shared that fear with him because I knew that that's true. He could dock our pay. He could get pretty upset. And fear was tempting us to say, well, I'll be honest, unless it costs me. And I told him I can't do that. And God is trying to teach Obadiah something similar, something important. And it's something that all followers of God need to learn. I find it interesting that Elijah could have confronted Ahab himself. We could have gone straight from the story of the widow, straight to him confronting Ahab, straight to the battle on Mount Carmel. But he involves Obadiah in this. Obadiah, it's nice 
that you hid some prophets in a cave. It's great that you feared me from your youth and you learned the Ten Commandments and you know how to recite the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and you're a good Jewish boy and you know how to follow things and you know you, you know how to... But you fit into the crowd. People don't know who you are. For all they know, you worship Baal. You're the king's second-hand man and he's the most wicked king we've ever seen. Jezebel doesn't want to kill you, and that right there is a problem, because she hates anything that has anything to do with anyone who serves the God of Israel. You're a secret agent, and God's calling them out. I want you to step out there. And so Elijah tells Obadiah to go and confront Ahab, and he's being asked to publicly side with Elijah, to be public about his faith. The widow, the widow just before this, there's so many parallels, but there's a key difference. The widow needed to know that God was trustworthy, right? That God was true to his word. He, she needed to know that God was true to what he said. That's not exactly Obadiah's problem. His issue was a little more than that. Obadiah wasn't questioning the truthfulness of God's word. God's word is, his issue was fear of the opposition. And you begin to sense that the distance between you and Obadiah's life is closing. Because you're starting to get what Obadiah's issue was, and you start to get, hey, this is our issue. That we fear opposition, any kind of opposition to our faith and to the gospel. You find yourself at home when the meal is served, and everybody holds hands, and okay, let's pray. Maybe have your kids pray, and you do this prayer, and then and it's loud, and then in restaurants it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <coughs> okay, let's eat, you know. Do you find yourself praying real nice prayers at home, but then you go out to a restaurant and it's suddenly not as public? Do you find yourself changing the conversation when religion or faith is brought up? You won't change the conversation here. This is church. But out there with a co-worker, yeah, that's awkward. Let's change the conversation. You don't want to talk about it. Do your co-workers know about your faith? If not, why? And we need to stop coming with, well, because if I start proselytizing, I can get fired. I mean, on the one hand, that's not necessarily true. We may have to be careful in some circumstances of the way we share. But on the other hand, at what point does our faith come before our job? We love to do big things for God as long as we're in an appropriate atmosphere to do so. The illustration I thought of in my life was um, my cousin and I are close in age, and I went to Moody Bible Institute, and he went to the United States Air Force Academy. And uh, two pretty different paths, um, but we're, we're like brothers, and we stay in touch and love each other dearly. And there would be a few times where his, uh, he would have these banquets, uh, United States Air Force uh, Academy gatherings, and I would attend with my cousin. He would invite me, and the, the speakers are always some big shot government officials and then all the cadets are standing around in their nice blue clean uniforms with their achievements on their chests and and the, the mayor's there or governor's there, the secretary of defense or somebody and you've got all these students, many of them to become pilots or high ranking officers or successful businessmen etc. And I just would sort of sit in awe and I would see the, the, the campus is beautiful and and, and the ranks and, the, and the, the power of the U.S. military and the, the honor and the respect and everything in this world of the U.S. Air Force. 
And then my cousin would probably introduce me to his friends. Yeah, he goes to Moody. He's starting to be a pastor. And he wasn't making fun of me. He's honestly proud, but I just kind of, yeah, hi, you know. Which is funny because in church I preach boldly. And when I talk to Christians, I go, yeah, I, I went to Moody. I went to Trinity. Oh, what was it like? Oh, yeah. I had Don Carson. Oh, let me tell you. you know, oh, you had you had Erwin Lutzer for your pre. Oh, yeah, I had her. You know, we start talking. In that world, they don't know what I'm talking about. In that world, it's like, you, you were moody when you went to college? No, I went to moody, and it's not a college. What is it then? It's an institute. Like an institution? Are you, like, mentally okay? How about just never mind? In church, I, I teach how awesome it is to serve the living God, to minister the gospel, that there's no higher calling, that we are in God's army. And truthfully, we serve the real risen king. And one day all kingdoms of the earth will pass away and all nations will bow before the king that we serve. But when I'm in the earthly kingdoms, I get caught up in how grand it all is and I lose perspective. I lose perspective and I get sheepish Elijah gives Obadiah a life-changing statement to change Obadiah's perspective and solidify his obedience life or death rain or shine to obey follow God regardless of the situation and we find that in 1815 Elijah says to Obadiah as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. And so he assures Elijah, first of all, you're wrong. When you come back, I'm not going to be anywhere. I'm here at the word of the Lord. I'm here because God told me to confront Ahab, and I'll be waiting. But it's not just that he assures Obadiah, I'll be here, don't worry about it, I'll be right back. He doesn't just say, no, I promise you, I'll be here. It's how he assures him that's striking. He says, as surely as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Now, some Hebrew scholars will point to the fact that that phrase, before whom I stand, is a technical phrase denoting service to a king. Elijah is not saying, literally, God is right here. Can't you see him? I'm standing right before him. He's saying, I stand in the service of our God. I serve the real king. And because of that, I can assure you. But he doesn't just say that he serves the, the king, the real king, the true living king. But what kind of king is this? He says, the Lord of hosts. We don't really use that word anymore. A host is somebody at a party that makes sure you have drinks. That's not what's meant here. He means armies. So the Lord of hosts is Yahweh Sabaoth. Sabaoth is host. Sabaoth means armies. And so he's telling Obadiah that I'm not just assuring you that I'll be here when you get back. But I'm going to be here as someone who stands in service to the real king, the real God, who has real armies at his command. And we can stand against opposition publicly because we know who we serve. Obadiah spent a lot of time watching Ahab kill people. Obadiah spent a lot of time watching Jezebel slaughter prophets. He spent a lot of time watching Ahab's men train for war. And he lost perspective of what God 
can do. Because of Ahab's power, he lost perspective of God's sovereignty. And Elijah's pulling him back to that. You can obey, you can stand against Ahab, and you can stand with me because of who we serve. Lord of hosts, the Lord Sabaoth. In October of 1517, a young monk wrote down 95 points of contention with a particular doctrine of the church in his day. And he walked up to that castle church in Wittenberg, nailed them to the door. And this wasn't just a door to a church. This was a designated place to post your comments. This was a door blog. And you would post your essays and your affirmations of the church's theology and practice. But the church had become so intertwined with governing power that to defy the church was to, to, to defy not only the pope but the holy emperor. And Martin Luther threw down the gauntlet because he felt that the church had compromised what God clearly revealed in scripture about certain practices. And by nailing those 95 theses on the door, he exposed himself to ridicule, to ostracism, to excommunication, and threats to his life. And under this heavy persecution, 12 years later, Martin Luther penned these words, which have been translated for us into English from the German, but they were translated in 1853, so you'll have to forgive the real thick, sort of ancient language. But Martin Luther says this, under this persecution, he writes, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. He's not talking about the Pope, he's talking about Satan and his armies. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Some of you recognize the song, and when we sing that line, we go, on earth is not his equal. And we're thinking, God, that's not that line is about Satan. You are not equipped or able to oppose spiritual enemies on your own. And it doesn't take a lot of work as you read through the Bible that this isn't about Ahab and this isn't about Jezebel, that this isn't about Baal. Baal was just a, a, a god, an idol that they worship, but there's something diabolical behind those things that God is working against. And it's God's prophets versus Satan's minions. And on earth, we have every right to be fearful. But then the next thing he pens, the next verse, he says, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And so Martin Luther points to the same reality that Elijah points to, to encourage Obadiah. We don't just serve a God in the sky who watches and lets things happen unwittingly. He's Lord Sabaoth. He's Lord of hosts. He's Lord of armies. He's in charge. He's the real king. He's sovereign. He's in control. Now go talk to Ahab. And Obadiah does so. Verse 16, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And the next week we'll see what that confrontation is like. 
But when we lose sight of God's power, God's might, God's kingly reign, we give in to the fears of the powers of this world, period. And Obadiah needed to not just be assured that Elijah would be there when he got back. He needed a greater assurance that if he truly feared God's reign, then he needn't fear Ahab's reign. If you truly fear God, you needn't fear anything else. My cousin Miguel went to um, Colgate Rochester Crozer Divinity School. I should have told him, if you go to a school with that crazy of a name, you're going to get experiences like this. But I didn't. And he went to get his uh, master's in theology. And at the graduation ceremony, they, they brought in a speaker. And the speaker started the message really well about uh, meeting the needs of the, the needy and that we as a church should demonstrate Christ's love and meeting physical needs, not just preaching the gospel, meeting physical needs as well. And well, amen to that. But then the message took a turn toward pro-homosexuality and my cousin Miguel just started getting uncomfortable with the message. And then the message became one of a, of a blatant denial of Christ's sole position as Savior. At some point in the message, this is to a school of divinity students, Bible students. And the speaker said, I do not teach and never have taught that Jesus is the only way. Miguel felt uneasy and discomfort grew inside of him as the speaker continued. And then when the speaker finished, the applause began. And then he found himself caught between fear of God and fear of man. And so he decided, I don't want to offend the guy and stick out like a sore thumb. I'll just clap very unenthusiastically. And then it happened. Everybody got up, rose to their feet to give the speaker a standing ovation. But he scratched right where they itched. A message of tolerance, a message of, well, forget what the Bible says, let's just do what... And he in that split second, had to make a decision. Do I sit in front of hundreds of people and show that I am against what you said and everybody else in here? Or do I just stand and be the secret agent? And he stood. My cousin graciously gave me permission to use that story here because he used it in his own preaching ministry. He told me when he got back in his car and on his way home, he felt sick to his stomach. He grieved that he stood. And he confessed it to his church and to his family. And he made a deep resolution never to stand for a denial of Jesus again. I think God used that experience to get him, to get him there. Was it worth it to follow the crowd to deny me? Was that worth it? So he made that deep resolution. To put it another way, he put, made a resolution never to fail to obey because he gives into fears. And so you know that, you know why he felt sick. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read this briefly before we close. In Matthew 10, Jesus makes these bold statements. He tells the disciples that persecution is inevitable. Persecution is inevitable. Not follow me and you'll escape all persecution. Follow me, you will be persecuted. And then he says... Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. 
So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do you acknowledge Christ with your lips in church and then deny Christ with your actions or inactions outside of church? Are you like Obadiah, an undercover follower of God? That's what he was, wasn't he? He did great things as long as it was under wraps. As long as the only people that knew about it were the people on his side. Three times in this passage, Matthew 10, Jesus tells the disciples not to fear. Fear not. Don't fear them. Fear me. Don't fear them. They can never compromise my care for you. And he commanded them not to fear because persecution is inevitable. Obadiah escaped death here. God doesn't promise that nothing will ever happen to you as a result of taking a stand for him. That's not the promise. But the challenge is to recognize that you take a step out in faith and do the things that God is asking you to do, regardless of what kind of things that you fear, because God is always bigger. Because God is the real king. He's the Lord of the heavenly armies. He's the Lord of hosts. He's Yahweh Sabaoth. And I can face my fears when I fear God more. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as you call us to obedience, as we look through this passage and the boldness of, a of Elijah confronting a wicked, murderous king like Ahab and telling him, hey, your land is going to be devastated. And then running f for his life, trusting you and getting fed by scraps from ravens and drinking, lapping water out of a brook that's drying up. And then meets a widow and calls her out on the same thing. I know you don't have food anymore, but I want you, I want you to feed me your last meal and trust that God will give you more. And then meets Obadiah and calls him to the same faith. I know you do great things behind the scenes, but I want you to come out on stage and really show up for the kingdom. God, I ask that those of us in here who really know our theology and really know our Bibles and really love quoting it to other Christians would be able to go out there in the world and not hide our light under some bushel because we want to stay comfortable in the darkness. Give us the boldness we need to, to serve you without shame and without the fears that inhibit us and trap us we ask that you would give us what we need to be bold for you and obey what you call us to do. Get your message out there and that our co-workers, our family members, our friends, our neighbors would know who we are and who we serve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.